0: You're at your old trusty boat, you call Mighty Sparrow, I'm in the city of Mardi Gras. Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Today we are going to be going through a little bit of what's going on in the GGR because Cape Horn is, uh, is the topic and I'm feeling rather nostalgic, I guess, as I'm watching these other fellow sailors out there uh, at the bottom of the earth in a super vulnerable position, but also in one of the most epic places that a sailor can ever sail. Uh, so we're going to get into some of that. And then I thought I would just sort of scroll through and try and answer some questions that I keep seeing pop up here. We're just going to randomly go through uh, and try and try and get to some some topics. So it's going to be a little all over the place, but uh, that's pretty normal. I think everybody's used to that on this show. So uh, before we start, like I always say, if you want to support the podcast, you can follow the link over to Patreon and become Part of the 44, yes I said 44, member strong supporters that are keeping this show going. I appreciate all of you so, so much. It's absolutely fantastic that it's still growing. I love it. Keeps me wanting to put out more and more of this stuff. Uh, Other than that, obviously, you know, we still have the merch. Link in the description. The shirts are great. I'm wearing one right now. And uh, if you want to just contact the show, go ahead and... Head over to sailingintooblivion.com and follow the podcast link to the the good old contact the show button, and I get those emails directly, just me. I don't have an assistant, not yet. Once the show gets big enough, though, you never know. (laughs) So, all right, that out of the way. Uh, Yeah, so we've got some sailors down at Cape Horn. Holy smokes, it's so cool. So Kirsten... Who is in first place? She's actually like right next to the Falklands. Um, she's sort of in the shelter uh, of the island, and I'm sure for the first time in a long time, she's probably enjoying, <clears throat> excuse me, a nice flat, calm sea, which I remember we didn't. I didn't really have that when I was down there. Uh, we had some pretty sizable swell coming up from the south, but I think. Um, you know, she's she's man, she is just moving fast. It took me forever to get from Cape Horn to the Falklands, or at least it seemed like it. There were some becalmed uh, situations. There's a big bank. You know, you you round Cape Horn, and then there's an island that you can go in between South America and um, and this island. I think it's Staten Island, or you can go outside of it. Um, she went outside of it, and then there's a big shallow bank. I think it's the Falkland Bank, and that's sort of a sketchy place because it shallows up quite a bit. And uh, you know, if, it, if things get really bad down there, the waves get really big. It's not uh, not a place you want to be for sure. But Abolish is uh, whew, uh, as as I am recording this podcast. He is probably five ten miles away from Cape Horn. So good on you, buddy. That's awesome. You must be f- absolutely loving it and uh the weather looks pretty good you know there's it's down there pretty good means that it's not uh essentially it's not blowing gale force and you know it is off and on the the idea that cape horn is just this constant battle of of heavy weather and heavy wind is is sort of a fallacy i mean it really is that the right word fallacy That doesn't sound right. But in any event, uh, you know, you get becalmed there just as much. I think when Knox Johnson uh, made his first trip around, I think he had said that he floated by on the current, becalmed, and then he had a gale from the east. Um, So, you know, you never know what you're going to get. So it's always a pretty, pretty wild place. And I don't know, it's dynamic too because now there's actual land and things like that involved. And I know when I was down there, it really, it hit, it hit home because the Pacific is just so vast and you're just so out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. I mean, you, you pass, I passed within 30 miles of Point Nemo, the farthest you can get from land on our entire planet. And then to go from that after another month to being in proximity of land and being able to see some of the mountain peaks, I mean, Kirsten went super close to Cape Horn. I never even laid my eyes on it. And, uh, she definitely was right there. That's super cool. I I've always wanted to be able to see that, that pinnacle rock and that, uh, that Mount Olympus of the sailing world. Uh, but we'll have to see. You never know. It's all, I always used to say that it's a good excuse to go back, but then in third place, we got Michael. I'm not going to try and, uh, uh, pronounce his last name, but <laughs> he's he's making his dive. And it, it's it's such an incredible feeling to make that dive down south where, you know, you you're just now getting below 50 degrees south. It's getting a lot colder. Everything's a little more intense, a little more ferocious. But the fact that you are in a position now where it's sort of like, all right, we're in it and there's no getting out of it. That is a weird feeling. I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, it's this sort of like diving into the deep end sort of thing, because, uh, one of the things you always have to consider with that is the minute you get down South trying to get North of an approaching low pressure system now becomes very difficult because once you're, once you're that far South where you're, you're literally going to be in the middle or on the lower end of these systems, that means that if, if it overtakes you, the first winds you're going to get are from the north and the northwest, so it impedes your ability, and they sort of can just suck you right into the center where you don't want to be. So, I don't know. It's a vulnerable feeling, and it's but it's also kind of cool because you know you are headed towards the exit from hell. As uh, I can't remember who it was that said that. They called it, it, it was definitely a French sailor, Vendee Globe sailor, I think, but. I remember reading that in this great book called God Forsaken Sea about the 97 Vendee Globe and uh, all the disasters that took place during that. But So Michael, is uh, he's still got a ways to go. He's got a few days before he gets out from uh, or gets around Cape Horn. But, you know, the weather looks all right. It doesn't look like there's anything absolutely crazy coming up. Um, and there is a huge, huge system that's actually in the South Atlantic right now um, just to the north, uh, north, northeast, I guess, of Kirsten's position, but it's going to track away. So uh, that will be very much appreciated, I'm sure. I'm sure she's pretty happy to avoid that one. It's a big monster, too. It it almost looks like like a mini hurricane. It's crazy. Um, But, like I said, that's going to pass on by, and so it won't be too big of a deal. But, yeah, so keep everybody in your thoughts. The the Cape Horners are down there. They're rounding the the craziest mark in the world. It's just absolutely nuts. It's just so iconic. I always thought if I was ever to get a tattoo, it would probably be Cape Horn, but I don't, I don't think I'll ever get a tattoo. If you make it to age 44 without getting a tattoo, you're probably not going to get one. <laughs> But in any event, uh, yeah. So that's that's the little GGR update, and then obviously I, I guess we shouldn't leave out the rest of the rest of the fleet. Uh, Ian and uh, Jeremy, they're back there, mid mid Pacific, you know, making their way. They're up in the mid forty latitudes, and yeah, they've got they've got a long haul to go, but they're uh, they're plugging away. And then Guy is still in Tasmania, and supposedly he's got his life raft and all that sort of stuff but he is on his own as he's been sort of officially let let go from the uh golden globe race uh due to timing and all that sort of stuff and and the the restrictions which are kind of understandable um you know if he if he takes off now you know he's going to be rounding cape horn probably in uh april almost same time i did and that's definitely late that's that's pretty late uh although it's always a roll of the dice it doesn't matter summer winter whatever you're going to uh see pretty bad weather systems and you never know what you're going to actually get but i think from a race standpoint they make these these rules don does a great job of running this whole show and his whole team uh it's been fantastic to watch absolutely fantastic i i love checking in on the on the Golden Globe, from the comfort of my home. Uh, that is always kind of nice, I'm not going to lie. Uh, as, as fun as it was to do the course, uh, and and a great experience, it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, I almost want to say it's more fun to watch from uh, a computer screen in some ways, but only because I've already done it once. Let's just say that, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, that's the Golden Globe. And, you know, I, I was definitely feeling a bit nostalgic about that whole episode. Um, that whole chunk of the trip for me was just so mind-bending and physically just challenging. Um, you know, if you, if you go back to when I was just under Australia and uh, south of Tasmania, You know, lots of heavy wind, really making a lot of miles, and then we had a pretty gnarly storm in the South Tasman, and then this epic calm after the storm with like a double rainbow and whales and all sort of stuff, and uh, and then the dreary calms underneath New Zealand, and the whole time I'm rationing food and I'm I'm having to really take care about the water because. You know, I didn't have the water pump anymore, so I was just catching rain since the middle of the Indian Ocean and basically, you know, setting off to get out into the Pacific. And I don't know, there were just problems. The computer broke, had to go to the backup and sort of figure that all out and everything. And I don't know, there there was definitely, I think if there was ever a point on my journey that I thought it might be time to throw in the towel, it was... uh south of New Zealand and entering the Pacific where I was just sort of like, we got one big ocean to go um, before we get out of the, the Southern portion of this, this adventure. And I don't know. I I think it was like a pinnacle thing. And in some ways I have to say that, uh, Cyclone Gita was kind of a, um, kind of like a a blessing in disguise as it came down towards new zealand it really in a lot of ways blocked the ability for me to be like oh well i'll just head back to new zealand i'll i'll get a water pump or i'll get uh you know a a backup computer or all these things or get food you know and uh because that system came down and it was so ugly and nobody really knew exactly what it was going to do. Uh, I just kept plugging away and plugging away and actually diving. I think I dove all the way down to about 50 degrees South to, to get to colder water, hoping that by that time, the storm would, uh, abate. And New Zealand did a great job of disrupting the, the cyclonic part of it. Uh, but it did leave a huge latent ball of energy that turned into a, Pretty epic gale, for sure. I will never forget that night. Just all day in big swell and no wind and just getting walloped around. And then just after the sun went down and it got dark, the winds went from like 0 to 45. And it just blew for days. And we flew. But it was really crazy because I remember trying to, like I had, at that point, I had no sail up and it was a struggle. I, at first I was like, Oh, I got to try and get the main. I couldn't do that because the winds were so strong and the boat was motion was just nuts. And so I I just remember thinking, ah, okay, well, let me get the stasel up and, and we'll just run under that for a while. Um, and you know, it, it, it sort of worked out all right, but I wanted to go, uh, directly with the wind and, Uh, At that point, I wasn't really pulling out the stasel as much as I do now. Um, And, yeah, it was kind of crazy. So I just used that, got the boat moving and a little bit stable, and then ended up putting up the triple reef main and then dropping the stasel down and just running for, like, the next two, two and a half days. Uh, And we we clocked some of the the biggest miles, I think, on the whole trip at that point. So that was, like, my entrance to the Pacific, uh, cut to – you know uh 2 months later and i'm making the dive down and the pacific's kind of crazy you know as you're crossing that ocean down in the southern ocean portion it's you know there's this this thinking that that goes on in your head every time you look at the chart somehow your eyes just keep getting sort of pulled north towards tahiti and all these beautiful um, Polynesian islands that are very accessible if you are down at 45 degrees south latitude. All you have to do is turn north, and within a couple of weeks, you will be at your choice of tropical paradises. And that thinking, um, you know, it weighs heavily on you. you. You have to picture yourself. You're in this boat. You've been on the boat for like 100 and something days, and you're sitting in this cabin and the boat's just sort of sailing just like it does every day. And, you know, things change. You, you adapt, you, you change sails, you do all that sort of stuff, but eventually, you know, you, you do get the boat into a rhythm and now you're just left with your thoughts and all these ideas of, you know, I've gone far enough start coming into your head or at least they came into mine at that point. And yeah, I don't know. It was it was kind of strange. You you have to sort of mentally battle it all the time because it's like your mind is trying to play tricks on you out there and and say, "Nah, nah you're good, man. Hey, w- wouldn't it be cool uh to change this adventure up and do something nobody's done?" <laughs> you know, and you're like, Whoa, "Wait, wait, no, no, don't do it." Uh, but luckily, you know, I I think one of the real nice, uh, parts of having a lot of people follow a voyage is that, you know, you have your intended goals. And even though it's just you out there, um, you know, that sort of people are watching. And so there's an expectation and that definitely is a bit as, as Knox Johnson said, a prod in the backside to keep going. And, you know, you, you don't want to let people down. You want to, you know, finish up as, as best as you can and all that sort of stuff. So, excuse me. So ended up go, go, go. And then, yeah, you get to that, that final sort of, uh, uh, jumping off point where you have to make a choice between either going South towards Cape Horn or go North and, uh, escape all of it. And don't, uh, don't risk anything. And, uh, but also, you know the reward would disappear as well and yeah i mean you just you just start heading south like you're you're it's so crazy cuz literally the pacific is so big that you are heading due east for literally months <laughs> and then all of a sudden you change from you know 90 degrees to about uh oh probably about 160 150, and you just hold that position, and you're just going, and it's just each day it's getting colder and it's getting colder, and the days are getting shorter and shorter, and, man, it, uh, it's wild. And the whole time you're just, like, looking over your shoulder, what's coming next, what's coming next, and checking the weather and all that stuff. Oh, man, and I do remember it was, I was getting uh, text messages from some people and they they were like, your weather looks great. I think you're going to be fine. And I was still days out, and I'm telling them, please, please stop saying that. You're going to jinx it. I just want to sneak. I want to sneak by. I don't want anybody to know I'm doing it. I'm just going around Cape Horn. Shh, don't tell anybody. And then you get around, and you can celebrate and do all, all the things you want, even though... Once you get around Cape Horn, it's not like you're out of the woods. I mean, that is like we were talking about treacherous waters. Like I used to always say on the trip around the world, there's just the five sort of southern stormy capes uh, are places of wonder, but also places you never want to linger. You want to get past them out back into the open ocean so that you have uh, all the wiggle room. Uh, so to speak, in the world. Because remember, when you're down there, kind of the the thought process when you do a trip like this in the Southern Ocean is that you know as you're heading east, you see a low-pressure system coming up. Um, you try to get to the northern portion of it so that mostly you're going to be getting westerlies and then southwesterlies. And you can just ride that, and it's that's what you're looking to do. But you get under these capes, and you cannot do that. You can't go north. There's no option. You have to ride out whatever, whatever's coming at you. You have to deal with it and take it on. And you know that's the nature of the beast. Um, and it is kind of weird. Like it's the one sort of strange thing. Like all of these racers who have been doing this trip uh, have all had a vastly different experience. And you know, if you go back to the original race. And you read Knox Johnson's book, A World of My Own, and he's just getting his teeth knocked in. You know, he was obviously a lot slower than Mortissier, but also a lot uh, earlier down there. And then you read uh, The Long Way by Bernard Mortissier. And, you know, for him, it was light winds, um, very few... Bad weather systems and, you know, just sort of this incredible sailing experience. So two very vastly different uh, trips around the world via sailboats in the same year. And, you know, if if two boats were even just a thousand miles apart, they're going to experience something completely different. So I don't know. I, I just I think that's a really, really cool aspect of of these sort of races where, you know, the the fleet is pretty spread out. Everybody's dealing with stuff differently and, uh, I don't know, it's kind of interesting to consider the fact that they, you know, they all start at the same time and then, you know, slowly but surely they start to pull away, uh, from each other. And then, you know, once there's a little bit of distance, uh, all of a sudden it's, it's the weather that almost determines, Uh, I would say almost as much as the sailor doing, you know, their best to keep the boat moving as fast as possible, because that's, that's a a balancing act as well between how hard do I push this boat? Uh, do I, or do I conserve because it's such a long race you're out there. I mean, you know, even you look at Vendee Globe, they're finishing what, 70 days or something like that around about, um, I'm not, I'm not even sure how, how long it takes them, uh, these days with the foiling stuff, but it's, um, 70 days, like two, two and a half months is vastly different than, you know, seven months, uh, the ocean pounding away on your boat for, you know, more than half a year. You really have to consider your equipment and making sure that it's going to go the distance because, like so many of the sailors have found out, it uh, it only takes one crucial system to break, and then all of a sudden, it's game over, and you have to stop. And so it's uh, it's this big balancing act. I don't know. It's pretty crazy. So, oh, uh, man, off on a little tangent there. But, boy, yeah, I do. Man, I remember getting there, and I spotted some island. I was pretty far off. I think it was like eight miles south of, of – Cape Horn when I passed in the middle of the night, but I spotted some little island out there uh, the day before I rounded, and the winds picked up, and we were flying along, and then the next day, all I could see uh, were snowy peaks, um, way off in the distance, definitely not Cape Horn and then, yeah, outside of uh Staten Island and then over the bank and then right towards the Falklands to get the uh, the old food drop which was absolutely phenomenal. One of the best and most stressful days I've ever had uh, out at sea. I hadn't slept because of my proximity to land and not having a proper chart of the area. I essentially was uh, just awake and constantly going up on deck, dealing with hail squalls, wearing these big, you know, ski goggles and stuff. Um, Cause there was no more rain. It was all hail at that point. And, you know, you're, you're sort of coastal cruising along the Falklands looking for this lighthouse, looking for these little islands outside of Port Stanley or Port William. And uh, it was just, oh, man, it was so stressful. But, you know, in the end, it it, it all worked out. Yeah, I'm kind of looking at it right now. I kind of wish I could go on to, I should go on to Google Earth and really check it out. Uh, but I don't have it on this computer. That's All right. <clears throat> Oh man. But yeah, pretty, pretty crazy. It's, uh, uh, I, like I said, it gives you a little nostalgia when you see these boats. I mean, I can close my eyes and just picture, I can picture the scene down there because at least Chris Kirsten's down there and she's able to see land right now, see the, the hills and, and stuff of, uh, of the Falklands. And it'd be interesting to see how close she actually gets. Um, you know, for these sailors not using any GPS, you sight land like that, and it'll be it'll be one of the really rare times that you absolutely a hundred percent know your position, which I think is pretty cool. Hmm. Ah, but ah, uh, they've got a little ways to go because I think the Falklands sit at about fifty three. 52 degrees south uh, latitude, so they are still in the furious 50s, and they have a long way to go before they get out of sort of the danger zone. And boy, yeah, that system that's just to the northeast of Kirsten is ugly. Oh, God. The South Atlantic can be a beast of an ocean. Um, You know, I know Bill King and um, Montessier's Uh, friend, the other French sailor who was, who had started in the, the original golden globe. um, They both went through uh, absolutely immense storm down there. And that was the one where King got rolled and dismasted and all that sort of stuff. And uh, Fougeron, that's who it was. uh, He ended up quitting after that. He had had enough. I think he had lashed himself in his bunk and was just like, well, I guess we'll see if we're going to make it. <laughs> and I know a little bit about that feeling. Now, um I mean, I, you know, definitely saw some pretty heavy weather but on the on the trip around the world, but this last trip uh to actually sort of get into a situation where you're you, you definitely know that wrong place, wrong time some of these waves are so big and so scary and and violent that uh if we get hit we if it if it gets worse or if just the timing is perfect and one of these giants comes rolling right up on us uh then it's going to be pretty much game over and there is this weird feeling of at least that I had where I was like well if it will be it will be and I guess that's what's uh what the plan is so I'm going to sort of sit here and I'm going to think about, uh, you know, think about my life, think about uh, all the things that I got to do and all the people I got to meet and all that sort of stuff. I think I talked about that before. I don't want to get back into that. Um, <clears throat> what I do want to get into at this point is we do have uh, oh, we do have quite a few comments, questions, things like that. And I wanted to hit up uh, Josh first because he had emailed about the iridium go and communication devices and all that sort of stuff and uh yeah i typically you know the iridium go is is a little bit pricey i didn't really like the because the way that i use the iridium go and most technology stuff on the boat is that i pull it out of this big pelican case i turn it on i use it and then i turn it off and i put it back in the case and that's where it lives, and. So, they, you know, I know the Iridium Go is meant to be able to just, you know, mount mount it and plug it in. And if you want to leave it on, you can leave it on. If you don't, you don't. Um, I don't know. I don't think anybody would just leave it on all the time, maybe. But uh, because things are kind of that way on the boat, the Iridium Go is really good because it, it works very quickly uh it seemed to be very reliable and so between the iridium go and then an ipad i was able to download the weather in one tenth of the time that i used to between uh using a computer and uh the sat phone and definitely was uh, a really nice nice upgrade for uh ocean sailing i think and um, but for like messaging and stuff like that, because I don't want to sit there and turn the Iridium on and leave it on for a while and, and text back and forth. Cause there's a, definitely a delay. Um, I use the Garmin inReach for that. So essentially I isolate the Iridium go for downloading weather and that's it. And I guess, you know, I, I suppose you could send an email that might be kind of fun, If you were doing like a blog or something like that, I don't know. Uh, But for communication, I'm typically all I want is that in reach. I want to be able to just text people. I do always still have the the actual sat phone still on the boat. So if I need to, I could call somebody. Um, But. I don't really call people out at sea. Uh, I have a handful of times over the years and and maybe on shorter trips, but I kind of like to um, disconnect, uh, if you will. And it just feels like text messages are a little bit uh, less invasive to the overall experience than actually picking up a phone and talking to somebody. Um, So I don't know. I mean, those are just sort of my thoughts. But... Yeah, I definitely like the Iridium Go. It made it easy. It seemed to work really, really well. I didn't need to get all the crazy kit. I don't have the uh, marine antenna or anything like that. I think that's more if you you really want that Iridium mounted, you know, at your nav station and and all that sort of stuff. I just took it out and I would plop it down up uh, under the Dodger and good to go because you know I'm all again I'm only using it for about five minutes at a time and. Yeah, it worked out well, and then I was just using Luck Grib as the uh, program or the app on the iPhone because it's like 45 bucks, and then you own it, and you own it. There's no subscriptions or anything like that, and you can just download that weather all you want, and you can get all the different models and all that sort of stuff. So, I don't know. It's it's pretty cool. I definitely, I definitely recommend it, I suppose, um, although, well, I shouldn't say that because I have only – used it for one trip so I haven't quite uh, exercised it all that much and I do know I have heard of people having some issues here and there with uh with the old iridiums malfunctioning and all that sort of sort of stuff um do 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 let's see if there was anything else uh pretty high price point in the iridium go in particular curious price point yeah yeah i mean it's expensive for sure um and that was one of those things i mean i i just picked mine up on amazon uh with with a uh sim card that had like a 1000 minutes on it and my plan was to then you go ahead and use uh predict wind and all that but then you have to get another subscription and i i started having uh, buyer's remorse and was just like, no, this is all too much money, and so uh, had to outsource a different way to get the the weather on that and everything. So uh, hopefully that was uh, not too confusing, Josh. Um, yeah, like I said, I I definitely like it. I look forward to getting back out to sea again with the Iridium, um, but I will say. That uh, Oh, wait, actually, here. Let me just pause really quick, and then we'll get right back into it. All right, so we're back recording now. Okay, sweet. All right. Uh, yeah, so what I wanted to get into real quick with that whole Iridium Go, and just this sort of strange issue that, that sort of came up was, uh, in hindsight, totally, was that the ability to download the weather and currents and everything as opposed to before when it was a lot. More difficult. I didn't do it as often. Um, and I wasn't able to see the Gulf Stream and the currents. I was definitely far more cautious and weary of a place like the Gulf Stream. And I firmly believe that if I didn't have that ability to update the information and all that and really pinpoint everything, um, I think I would have hove to. Uh, north of the Gulf Stream and not ventured in there until that system passed and then uh, go down and do that. Because that's, you know, it's just not a place you mess around with. And I made the mistake of just being way too confident and thinking that, hey, you know, I know exactly where I am here and uh, I didn't account for any error or anything like that. And I think in some ways um, the old school seamanship – Took a back seat to new school technology, and it got me into uh, trouble. And it's all me. I'm not blaming the Iridium. Uh, it was my usage of said technology that I think sort of screwed it up. So, but you know, I, I don't like to play what ifs because you know who knows. Uh, had I done that, who knows how bad the seas would have gotten up where I was. I, you know, it's uh, that's it's not really worth sort of considering. But what I am saying is when I go back out to sea, I am going to be uh, a little more on top of the fact that, you know, there's there's always going to be a little bit of error in those forecasts. They might uh, be a little bit under or over forecasting the weather or the currents and, uh, you know, just sort of take into account the old idea of like, well, hey, you know, if you're not sure you're going to be able to cross the stream before that system comes, then, uh, you know, maybe don't do it, <laughs> That's, you know, uh, maybe, I don't know. So, uh, but yeah, thanks Josh for, for writing in on that one. That's super cool. Um, yeah, i I definitely love the Iridium go, so I think it, it works out well. I'd love to check out the old Starlink at some point. I always thought it would be pretty cool to go do like a, transatlantic, or at least like maybe out to Bermuda and back or some, some kind of cool trip where you have, um, you know, full funding where you could, you could live stream for like an hour or something every day. And, uh, you know, people could sort of follow it live, you know, minute to minute, what the heck's going on and everything. And be able to upload daily videos. I always thought that would be kind of a neat experience. I don't think it would be uh, as nice as just a traditional, you know, ocean sail where you're sort of just in the moment the whole time. I feel like if you did that, you'd be doing it for the ability to sort of share it out and it would still be fun for sure, but it would be on your mind and having like a full internet connection. I can't even fathom, uh, you know, being able to go and and stream a video or something like that. Although I don't know, I don't don't really watch much. Uh, I'm, I'm more of the, uh, in my bunk with a book sort of sailor. So low tech, baby, low tech. All right. So we're gonna, we're gonna hit up a couple of other questions that i am seeing. Do you mind if I ask, what do you bring for food, freeze dried MREs or canned foods? All of the above. You got to mix it up a little bit. You know, uh, I like my chef boy RD raviolis and, and all that sort of stuff. And, I definitely love my freeze-dried spaghetti. Uh, I usually do mountain house stuff. Um, I get it in the cans, and then I also get the uh, the little packets, depending on which is less expensive. The only problem with the cans, uh, and these are like 10-serving cans, so you probably get maybe like six or seven meals out of it. The problem is if you open up a can of chili mac or something, you essentially you're going to eat chili mac, uh, for dinner for the next bunch of days because, you know, once you open it, it's, uh, it's going to just get a little bit soggier and soggier and soggier. Um, again, I mean, it's dehydrated, but you're on a boat in the ocean, so everything's a little damp. Uh, but yeah, I like to mix it all up. The MREs, um, not so much anymore on the first trip. I had a ton because they were very inexpensive back then. Um, pre, you know, pandemic and everything. And, I was able to get just the entree. So one little, it was essentially, you know, trading a can for a pouch. um, And they were really cheap. And so I got hundreds of them. Nowadays, though, it's, they're definitely way more expensive. So I kind of lean away from them. And they're not that good, really, taste-wise. Canned food, I I think, is uh, definitely a little bit better. But I don't know. Sometimes just out of nostalgia, I guess, I'll I'll maybe order up a, like a 12 pack of MREs, um, cause they always, you know, come in different flavors and stuff. You never know exactly what you're going to get. So I do, I am, I am still always haunted by this one MRE and it was supposed to be like a cheeseburger or something. Um, and it came with, uh, tortilla soft shell and then this packet of like meat and then mustard and ketchup and this cheese spread. And, you know, MRAs, obviously, yeah, they got a bad rep. <laughs> Rightfully so in a lot of cases. But I remember mixing all this up and taking a bite, and I swear it tasted like a cheeseburger. And I was just – I gobbled that sucker down, and it was delicious. Um, but it was just totally unexpected, and I've never seen one of these since. Um, I've always kind of thought of it as the the legendary MRE um you know in the good way the the bad one was the rib shaped pork patties uh those those uh made a lot of bubbles uh if you want to if you want to know the truth uh do 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 Uh let's see. What else do we have? A couple of questions about your solar panels. What size are they? And do you like the location? Yeah, I do. I like the location. Um, size wise, I think they're like 60 inches by about 30, 33 inches. So, um, not gigantic, but on the larger scale and yeah, behind the gallows was perfect. Um, you know, even though they got ripped off <laughs> on this last one, they've weathered many a storm. They've weathered uh, big breaking waves that have come up from astern. They've weathered knockdowns. Um so it's not it's not as though it was a super vulnerable position. I mean, it's a it's a solar panel. so it's always going to be a little bit vulnerable that that amount of surface area. But I really like where I put them because they're out of the way of everything. There's not a lot of shading that is going on back there, which is super important. Um, And they seemed pretty stout. Um, So yeah, I I definitely, when I get the new gallows or the new used ones uh, here in a couple of weeks, and I already have a new solar panel, this one is same size, but it's 220 watts, um, which is almost the same as the two that I had. Uh, I'm just gonna be mounting that one in the same position making sure it's nice and rigid, all that sort of stuff. But the um, change-up that I'm going to do is the second solar panel, instead of mounting it on a hinge underneath that one, I'm actually going to take the other one, find a good spot for it, but it's going to be one of those flexible ones, and it's going to be a roaming solar panel. So I can basically uh, disconnect it and bring it down below when the weather gets a bit uh, tumultuous. And that way, you know, heaven forbid, same thing happens again. Um, and and I lose all that stuff, I will still at least have the solar panel. Um, and, you know, just as sort of like a backup. And, you know, the last couple of trips, I always had a backup. It was down below. But unfortunately, uh, that one was old and uh, it wasn't working anymore when I tested it. Um, cabin fans. Uh, yeah, the cabin fans, I have like four of those little teeny little guys I guess this is a pretty standard one I'm not sure what type they are they're expensive though they're like 150 bucks for a fan and I don't really know why they cost that much money um, but they're nice um, I'd say for the first year or two of each one of them they're super quiet you get an oddball it starts squeaking and making sort of noises and stuff but um, I I always hook mine up they're just in the four corners in the cabin. And essentially, what I like to do is um, use these little um, butt connectors that aren't permanent, so you can, you know, unplug them. And then, you know, if, if the fan over my bunk starts making a bit too much racket, I'll unplug that one and I'll switch it out with another one. Um, but super crucial, especially especially when you get to the mid mid latitudes, equator, all that sort of stuff. You know, it's ninety degrees down below. You want to have some some air movement while you're down there trying to sleep. I would typically, in those situations, uh, take a uh, take like a handkerchief and wet that down, and I'd lay that over my back, and then I'd lay down under that fan, and just the evaporation would help to cool everything just a bit. I mean, it's I was I think the hottest it's ever been for me on that boat was. Uh, the 2020 trip where I was essentially sailing in between Africa and the Caribbean in September. And that was nuts. It was so hot. It was just ridiculous hot. Holy smokes. Uh, what an experience though. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was, I, and then I would I do that and I'd be able to sleep for maybe like 45 minutes. And then I'm like overheating, wake up in a pull of sweat and then just read and repeat the process over and over. And uh, I always wanted to just be able to sleep outside, but I never could for some reason. I I need that bunk uh, to do that. So, good question, though. Very good question. Do 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 do. i am watching it. Actually, rounding itself. Let's see. What else do we have? Uh, I thought there were a few more. What are you, UFOs- uh, huh? Well, I don't know. Um, I think most of these are actually just uh, good vibes. Oh, I get a lot of this. What about the Preventer? I think this is on one of the shorts uh, that I did on YouTube where I'm basically racing down these big swell, um, and you just can't see that the Preventer's on there. You always have a Preventer, always, Um, unless I'm beating into the wind or something like that. The Preventer's just there, and... I I just consider it a constant thing. I mean, you know, a lot of times I'll just slack it off even if I am beating into the wind so that I don't have to um, disconnect it and stow it or anything like that. It's just always ready to go. Preventer is like an absolute sort of must when you're out on the ocean, Um, I think. So, yeah, always have one of those. But, you know, I don't use uh, any super strong, crazy um, kind of line. I kind of figure that if, if the impact of something is going to be so great that it's going to break that line, um, then maybe that's the way it should be. (laughs) Maybe it should be, I'll break that swing over to the other side and be like, okay. Uh, rather than, you know, have, have like a piece of spectra or something like that, that ends up, uh, loading up so heavy and not giving way and breaking that the, the boom breaks or the gooseneck breaks or something like that. Again, you know, it's only me. It's only my little thoughts. I don't know if it's uh, correct or not, but you never ever know. Uh Well, I think that might be it actually. Geez. All the rest of this is just straight up like good vibes. It's so cool. Um I must say that uh it's really nice to just get you know positive feedback about some of the videos and um podcasts and all that sort of stuff it really it really does mean a lot because when you're trying to make all this content it's your brain is just like it it almost kind of turns to mush like I was definitely going overboard and i've I've had to throttle back quite a bit just for my own sanity um plus you know you get to a point where you're like well. Before I do some newer you know, video series or whatever, I, I want to actually go out and make some more content. I do know though, once I once I get back, there's a few little series, I don't know if that's a word, that I have started and not completed. Um, some of the storytelling stuff, and I definitely want to get back into that. I still need to do uh, Vito Dumas and his story going around the world. The book is back on the boat, uh, safe and sound. It made it through the knockdown, um, but. Yeah. So there's, there's some more stuff coming, but I, you know, it's one of those things where sometimes you just, you jump in a little too deep, you get a little too crazy. And then you like burn out and I don't want to burn out. Cause I would like to be able to just keep, uh, keep doing all this stuff, but you just gotta uh, moderation. Moderation is the key. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's about really, it's about the wrap up. Uh, everybody, I just, um, yeah, I kind of just got nostalgic. Wanted to talk about the old Cape Horners that are down there right now, and then uh, bleed into some some other stuff. So, hopefully, everybody's having a great day, a great winter, and uh, you know we are creeping up towards the sailing season. So, making plans to get those boats ready and uh, get them back out on the water. I'm really, really looking forward to wherever I end up sailing. Um, along the East coast, maybe all the way up to Maine, I hope. Uh, But we will see. And uh, yeah, who knows? Hopefully we'll have another podcast before I leave Michigan, but if not definitely going to have one next weekend when I arrive back on mighty Sparrow and uh, give you the real deal feel what it feels like to get back, back home aboard my sweet, sweet mighty Sparrow. Other than that, thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. And until next time, that is it.